You know, love the Home Depot. Someone, I mean, please live with Danny. Oh my God! <laughs> I no, no. He's building I a, a friend. He's no, <laughs> Jason. For context, I have I I've been like sort of low key looking for a roommate, but I I actually have another one. I have an, I have a roommate right now. Uh, I don't know how long they're gonna stay, but they paid for rent in in a in a retail in a rental market that in New York I could only describe as uh, terrifying. Everybody, everybody is trying to rent out a room right now, and the rents in like Manhattan and what have you are like as probably as low as they've been since like two thousand and nine. So, Only twenty four hundred dollars for like a closet. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. It's pretty amazing. Yeah, partial closet. Hey, that that closet's got a mini fridge in it. Come on, what are you talking about? Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's so things have been. But I've been doing, I've been taking the time to do some light renovation on my apartment, you know, with the idea that maybe one day, whenever I do move out, I get the security deposit back. Who knows? But I like the being next, Matt. Go the ahead. next, like, roommate's going to move into, like, an MC Escher-style staircase. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's like, anyways, I've been lonely. Uh... <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, there's a cat in here. Uh, see if you can find it. <laughs> this week, we have uh you know lovely uh los i was gonna say portland for a second los angeles comedian jason van glass who also has a who's also what what's the best way to describe your you, you yeah yeah what is <laughs> no one knows yeah yeah undef undefined comedian know. yeah comedian for of course of course yeah goddess a sexual vegan anarchist nice that we like so to speak japanese do you speak japanese it's such a hard language but i've been trying for like 20 years uh and i did go to uh, i did do study abroad there uh what was study abroad there like was it was like is were you in tokyo uh, i was in yokohama which is uh, near tokyo uh basically um and I was at Meiji Gakuen University's International Studies and Econ Department. So everything mm -hmm. was in English. Mm -hmm. uh, I had studied Japanese at that point, but the classes were taught in English because the international, it's a peace studies is what they have there. So there were people mm -hmm. majoring in peace and they're trying to do everything in English so that they could do diplomacy type work. Oh, yeah. I, I've, act, I've actually heard of peace studies before, actually. Um, it's uh, pretty big in Japan since mm -hmm. 1945. <laughs> Yeah, they, they, take it, they take it very seriously based yeah. on a couple of things went wrong before then. They're not great, and they're trying to avoid any of that happening again. If I were Japanese, I would associate nothing with the English language but peace. There's nothing else I can think of. Yeah, no. Like no. I, when I think when I think of the English language, I automatically think, oh, peace. That is that's that's the the most beautiful double language of uh, peace. Yeah, it's so, uh, so I majored in econ and, and we took econ classes there, but it was the the what the Japanese school got out of it was having a bunch of Californians around that they could practice um, their very excellent English on. Yeah, so you're there, they're there speaking pretty good English, and you're there speaking yeah, yeah, not excellent great, English. not great, not even yeah. not even required to speak Japanese. I mean, some of the people yeah, in the yeah. program had not studied Japanese. The, some of the other UC students. Yeah, but the, when did you learn like some some naughty words? And can you teach us some some naughty words? You know, I don't. 
I don't necessarily know any naughty words. No, there's no. There's, the there's, I, I know they exist, but it's a very formal language. I'll put it this way. I was watching on Netflix. If you switch your interface language to Japanese, it will activate Japanese uh, dubbing for any Netflix program. Yeah. Okay. So on on your Netflixes, you can choose like Spanish and maybe French, but if you change your menu language to Japanese, you can watch uh, any Netflix thing in Japanese. And yeah. the only one that's made any sense to me was The Crown, because they speak like textbook, Jap. They speak very polite <laughs> language in The Crown. Does that make sense? Uh, okay. And and so for the first time in my life. I was watching something that was in like textbook Japanese, which is like how you would speak to like a person of honor. Uh, and uh, it's the only thing I've it's ever been able to like follow coherently in Japanese, despite actively like seriously studying the language on and off many times over 20 years. Not, so nothing, no, none of your classmates taught you like dick? No, again, most of these students had no Japanese experience. Yeah. And all of our classes were in English, so we were in a kind of bubble. And then, as especially as a white person, if you if you're in Tokyo, Yokohama, Yokohama is a historically kind of international trading city of Japan. So it's okay. one reason the program was there is that Yokohama uh, okay. was where, like, the Dutch were allowed to live on an island in the harbor. So it's it's the it's a sort of historically back to the island. <laughs> back to the uh, back to the island near the island. <laughs> but. Any anywhere we would go, there'd just be people trying to like practice English on us, and oh. and you know, you, which is fine. It's very polite. Yeah. It's very like friendly of a very friendly yeah, thing yeah. Uh, for an American. <laughs> and people try to ask you in English, like, "How long are you here? Where are what? Why are yeah. you in Japan?" Yeah, wasn't like a great way to practice Japanese. There was a there was a French student whose third language was English, and his English got excellent over the year that he was there. <laughs> he was just living with a bunch of Californians and taking a bunch of classes, most of which are in English. And he he was very good at Japanese, and people oh. just like refused to speak it to him. What? No, they. You know what I mean? He would try. He would try, and he 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 ended up having to go to the hospital, and he he's trying to like he's he's trying to just. Con turn the language back into Japanese where it's like like he's explaining in Japanese like can you I don't speak English and they just like refuse to accept that a white person could speak Japanese that's so funny uh, God. so I that wasn't like great for my I, I'm sorry I don't have any fun Japanese words for you <laughs> that's fucked up man I don't know I don't I mean thanks for coming on but have a you got yeah a, <laughs> end of the podcast yeah <laughs> um Jason, you mentioned that you, you, uh, uh, I don't know how jokingly you did mention, but you did say that you identify partially as an anarchist or at the, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't, it's hard. It's a hard label because I don't know what other people mean when they talk about that. Uh, yeah, for sure. So, but I mean, I'd say, we, I would say is to not really have a defined. Yeah. It's race. non, non-hierarchical <laughs> at the very, at the very least, um, at the, and, and yet, the, you have an interesting history because you also are an econ major. And I would say uh, conservatively in the last five years, there has been a, um, uh, you, you know, a much more invigorated interest in like left politics from the general mm -hmm. populace. And at the same time, very subtly, people are also sort of debunking and sort of looking at what like, you know, hard econ people you know your milton friedman types are mm -hmm. sort of what what they're they prescribe to the world and what they sort of um you, you know how true that was which it turns out it's probably not that true so uh but i'm curious what your experience was 
you know, kind of like living both of those things. And if you if you sort of like transitioned from one to the other or did that. For starters, I went to UC Santa Cruz, sure. home of the banana slugs. Uh, yes. Uh, yes. <laughs> like if you don't know, if you don't know anything about UC Santa Cruz, like its reputation is, it's in the forest. It was founded in the '60s. Uh, it has like a very like hippie left wing edge like reputation. Uh, I think when I was there of the UCs, it also had like the highest parental income of people. So it was not like you know it's like that type of like left wing hippiedom. Yeah. Um, uh, the, the only type that we appreciate upon these. And yeah. uh, and so. I can't compare my, my I, I would say pretty shallow econ education that I received. I don't think I like got like a very in-depth mm. one, not through no fault of UC Santa Cruz, but I also can't compare it to what you might get at University of Chicago or, or yeah. UC Irvine or something. Mm -hmm. uh, but it wasn't, it wasn't uh, like completely just like, like most high school econ textbooks to the extent that anyone is even studying this are written by complete right-wing lunatics um, that yeah. have that job because what they, the, the beliefs they express are like so useful to people that are in power that there's a whole like marketplace for them to like write books and have fellowship positions and propagate this sort of uh, George W. Bush type of economic ideology. And um, that's not exactly what you see Santa Cruz teaches, even if I didn't receive like a like an introduction to like left wing radicalism. Like we didn't read Marx either, but it's not. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I think we I think we split the difference uh, for what it's worth. What made you interested in that study in studying economics? It's a good question. Uh, I was simply interested in it. That's like why I majored in it. I would say like ninety percent of the people going through the department were majoring in business, and all of them were doing it because their parents thought it would be like practical. Mm -hmm. uh, and I was, yes. I was, I was studying it just because I thought it was like interesting, and I felt like I had some aptitude for it. Uh, unlike other things, it made sense to me. Um, uh, I've always been, I've been on eBay since 1998. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> so I've always been like into like flipping collectible things, and that the game of that is like always was like fun to me as a teenager, and it's like still kind of fun. Um, and I, I had been introduced to the subject in high school through academic decathlon. It's one of the 10 subjects in academic decathlon. Oh, yeah. And uh, academic decathlon teams, certainly at that time, I have no idea what's going on now, but you'd have like three people with an A average, three people with a B average, and three people that had a C average. And you could sort of fungge the, you know, you could include PE or not to get into the category you needed. Mm -hmm. So I was in academic decathlon because we could make my kind of b minus grades like a c plus grade if we don't include rock on or art mm -hmm. or something whatever i was getting a's in yeah yeah so i was i was in this uh underperformers category on our team <laughs> as, a c, as a c student that could still carry my weight hopefully and that's econ was one of the subjects and econ just it just made sense to me and i became like the team's it became my subject that i could then we i could be the study leader for the other teammates so it was something where I was on this team with these people I'm still friends with who are like very good at science things and math and like have way better aptitude for some of these other things. And uh, it was something where feeling maybe insecure about my inability to just sort of understand chemistry. Uh, I did just sort of understand economics. I don't know. To me, it seems like simple. I don't know if that's true for other people or not. And have you always held the, some of the political ideologies that you hold now? 
No, I, I don't think my ideology has changed, but my maybe my ability to describe it has become more precise. Yeah, I think I, I can absolutely relate to you that. Like, you like learn what anarchism is and you're like, oh, okay, that just like clarifies my inherent distrust of the government or whatever. <laughs> sure, sure. We're, I mean, I, I mean, I can remember in like 2008, 2009, when I was a little bit younger, still justifying like the sort of weird technocratic, you know, uh, beliefs of, you know, the Democratic Party and what have you, and just sort of like half-heartedly being like, well, we got to vote for them. But in sort of like in the yeah. back of your head, just sort of being like, this isn't feel right. <laughs> I, would <laughs> you know? say, I would say I've been a reluctant liberal Democrat since high school, but mm -hmm. uh, I think like a lot of people have become, maybe have less patience <laughs> for, for what 20 years of that has gotten us in my lifetime uh, in the last couple of years. And uh have become maybe more just like more radicalized a little bit, but I don't think I've had like mm -hmm. a profound switch in my beliefs. I, I, I joined ISIS, so I'm with you. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. fun to be part of something. Uh, it's, uh, that's mostly what it is. Just here for the friends. Just yeah. the community. You buy, a, you buy a Toyota Hilux, David? Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you buy you buy a you buy a Toyota Tacoma from 1994 with 500,000 miles on it. Good for you. Good for you. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, Isis, Isis loves dependable trucks that last forever, <laughs> that they can fit 17 dudes on. Yeah, it'll, it'll last as long as the next caliphate. Yeah, uh, that's that's the the last caliphate was a a, a really old truck was a Nissan Datsun <laughs> from 1975, you know? I guess since this is like an interesting uh, episode, we're coming up on like the year, right? When New York first went to yeah. shut down and everything. Like, mm -hmm. what was it like for you a year ago from being like, you know, you were, it sounds like you were incredibly active in the comedy Try, community. Yeah. Trying to be. <laughs> Trying to be, but I mean, like, no, I mean, that, like, what you're doing, yeah. is, I mean, that's, that's a lot. That's a lot of responsibility. That's a lot of commitments. At seeing people all the time, just like thinking about that is almost giving me agoraphobia yeah. of like interacting with that many people. Yeah, because you go out and you interact with people twice a night, seven nights a week, if you're out doing stand-up or improv. Exactly. So like, what was, was there a hard lockdown for you? When did, did or was it like a slow trickle? To tell us about like that process for of me, moving into a lockdown. I just like pieced out immediately and, uh, what is immediate, like what day? Do you remember like <laughs> yeah, yeah, last year? Yeah, yeah. Pretty early, like maybe March 12th or something. Oh, like, oh like, nice. Like like, sh like shows for the next week were canceled and my class was canceled. Like oh, we're not doing a show this Monday, just putting the word out. But so I just like got, I just, I, I having lived in LA for like nine years at that point in Hollywood, I just knew I didn't want to be in Hollywood during like any sort of emergency because I didn't trust my neighbors. <laughs> you know what I mean? It worked out <laughs> fine, but it's like yeah. LA is, I just didn't trust it. Well, it's just not a safe place to be if there's not enough, anything like not enough electricity or water or something. And luckily it didn't come to that really. But uh, since I had the uh, opportunity, I had some place to go uh, to my family's house. I just like, I just like left and knowing that I could drive back if I had to. Or is that like that seems to be a pretty predominant like prevailing attitude in Los Angeles to not trust your neighbor? <laughs> I mean, it's just a history of LA. So I, I don't trust the LAPD. I don't, you know what I mean? Like, I just know that like there was a heat wave once and power was out. And I live in the Hollywood Hills, like, I live one block into it, but like, there's million dollar plus houses like a hundred feet behind my apartment. And 
So this is not even like a like quote unquote bad part of LA or dangerous part of LA, but there's still tent cities in my fancy semi fancy part of LA. Sure. Uh, and the power was out once and it was like like a heat wave. And so the like tr- street lights weren't working and like people were like driving on the sidewalk. You know what I mean? Mm, yeah. The power was out for 30 minutes and it was like at 95 degrees out. And I felt like people, I went to Gelson's, which is like a fancy market I can walk to from my apartment. I felt like a riot was going to break out where people were going to steal kombucha. Does that make sense? There was <laughs> like a, like a, there was like a spiky parody. tension in the air where someone was going to throw a trash can through like a crystal store window. Right. And I don't, that's not even, it's just like, given who the president was or whatever, I had, I had my go bag ready and I just got out of there. I didn't, I wasn't waiting to see if, if we do have enough water or whatever. Yeah. So, do you think that like, there's something about like the construction of LA as a city that really lends itself to being like one emergency away from anarchy or, or bad in, in a bad way barbarism i think a lot of people like la has a terrible reputation let's be honest and the people that live there have like a bad reputation and i think it's like a very small subset of people that are generating that reputation where i've met mm-hmm. t- dozens of wonderful human empathetic people but the the truth is that for like 150 years now sociopaths from all over the world have been kicked out or run out of their little town. And they're like, well, well, Peoria is not big enough for me. I'll show you. And <laughs> people, people, with, people with psychological disorders have, have been like, honestly, like literally run out of town and they end up in Los Angeles. And some of them have power in Los Angeles. They become agents or, you know, like Harvey Weinstein or, or these types of people yeah. that, that yeah. are like sociopaths, right? Bill Cosby's a sociopath. And he found like a, a place in a, 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 industry that he could use to his advantage for that reason so there are there's these there are these drive on the sidewalk people even though (laughs) the typical angelino is like just as rolling their eyes or exhausted by that person as anyone would be there's there's more sociopaths per capita than any place else in the world it certainly got like that delusion like it definitely attracts like the delusions of grandeur type of personality Mm -hmm. and like the escapism of it and there's just something so um alluring about hollywood and comedy and that sort of industry that just attracts i mean um, i'm one of them but that well, that's, yeah all of us right it's like you, you don't you don't move to la and like abandon a safer life and like leave your family and the support behind to do this thing if you don't believe in yourself but the the like so the great part about LA is that you can meet all these other people they're like let's start a band right you, like theoretically it's all these people that are like interested in like we should be recording we should be filming sketches we should I want to write a screenplay or whatever like all these people that have this bug to do something but right. the like but the like the periphery of that personality type is like a really unstable person <laughs> and totally and those unstable people it doesn't mean that they aren't also rich right they're driving their convertible on the sidewalk i was back in la for only the third time during this whole year just for a couple of hours because i'm adopting a puppy and so a few days ago i was in la for like an afternoon to like meet the puppy and then immediately leave la and i was stuck in traffic and like three o'clock in the afternoon on the 101 freeway just classic la uh traffic uh and the guy next to me was in a bmw m3 and he was putting the top down and drinking a beer. He's <laughs> just like, it's good to be back. You know what I mean? Like, cool. 
So Honestly, it's, man. Not the, it's not the place you want to be when shit goes down. <laughs> yeah. I think that's a good place to, to pivot a little bit to another very large right. state um, to talking about what's been going on with Texas because oh, yeah, of course. there was something that, that just came out and this, this is like, obviously what this winter storm in Texas is old news, but something came out uh, last week that has kind of revealed the degree to which people are falling through the cracks. And it's not just like the homeless, it's literally the entire population uh, of Texas through their, some sort of like, some of the stuff that's been going on with their uh, quote unquote regulator of their energy system. So there is, so Texas, just a brief overview, has a completely deregulated energy market is what they use. They use this, they, they call it a market, which is like important to, it's not called a system, it's called a market. <laughs> yes. There's and it's, also, al it's also crucially not connected to other power sources. So it's not a matter of, hey, we need more power. Can you give it to us? No, you can't. Like the physical infrastructure isn't there to get there's, extra yeah, there's, power. As I understand it, there's no line connecting Arizona. There's no power line that connects Phoenix or maybe, you know, San Diego to Texas. So even if yeah. they... Even if San Diego had extra power, they couldn't send it to Texas. So yeah, I mean, there, there apparently there was this deregulatory thing kind of like happened. Um, I think it's the '80s or '90s. I didn't follow up on the history on that sort of stuff, but what I did notice was a store, uh, a, a letter that came and was uh, all over the financial press. Uh, it was talking. The, this is from Bloomberg. This is a Texas watchdog. Basically, it says uh, the grid operator made a $16 billion error. Whoa! <laughs> so it, what happened was, this is something In that- In their favor? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> weird how it always goes that one direction. Yeah. So this, uh, basically what was going on, the, in the middle of the winter storm, you know, hundreds of thousands of people lost power, lost heat, uh, lost water, people were dying. There was, I mean, it seemed like the whole system was just completely collapsing under like three inches of snow and this winter storm that Texans had no idea how to handle. There is a energy kind of, it's, it's, uh, they, what do they call it? They don't call it not ERCOT. ERCOT. Okay. It's known as ERCOT. It's the grid manager. Okay. And there is a firm that was hired Okay, so again, another private entity that was hired to look at what happened, okay? So when power goes out, what happened was people all of a sudden were looking on their bills and seeing $10,000 for the month of <laughs> yeah. January on their electric bill or heat bill, uh, you know, and even or even more than that. I mean, just like, so there's this, um, the Bloomberg article has this image that is, I, I, it's like, I can't really describe it to the podcast people, but there was, you know, when you're like um, on like a heart monitor at the hospital mm -hmm. and then all of a sudden, yeah. it, and then someone dies you know that, and it just- It's like an incident. <laughs> yeah, it, <goes laughs> yeah, way yeah. Up and it goes way down. Yeah, yeah, or just, and, and like so you flatline, right? And it's in the middle, right? Yeah. So there's this pricing model that looks like a heart monitor in, uh, in Bloomberg. And instead of flatlining in the middle, it flatlines at the, it's at the very, very top. At the very top. At the of the very top. So it just yeah. it flatlines at nine thousand dollars or something like that. Yeah, nine thousand nine hundred ninety-nine dollars for yeah. on your light bulb. 
Yeah, exactly. So, Which everyone everyone knows what the price of energy is every time they flip a light switch. So I don't see what the problem is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Check, check the market. Then yeah. you microwave something. And if it's not a good market price, you just microwave it later. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, exactly. Just eat, yeah, eat, uh, eat tomorrow. Uh, so they set the price of electricity at $9,000 because during a grid emergency, uh, it is apparently good to effectively price gouge. And that is the, the thinking behind this was kind of amazing in this Bloomberg article is that, I mean, this is just reporting, right? So like they can't really have too many, uh, too much like editorializing in, in it, but they say that this is what they call it. It's called an incentive to have it be at a high enough point because that will reward these private energy <laughs> yeah. creators. Mm. To they, were, they weren't going to make that much energy that day, but they've decided it, it's worth it now. <laughs> Yeah, because they <laughs> yeah, make more yeah, money. Yeah, yeah. yeah they were going to be home early at the nuclear power plant, but then they decided <laughs> actually maybe we should get ten thousand dollars a second. Yeah, yeah. You want to extract? We want to burn much, twice as much coal today. Yeah. So they they basically what happened was uh, when they ca- capped out at nine thousand uh, dollars. This is when prices. This is from the article itself. When prices neared the nine thousand dollar cap on the first day of the blackouts, they soon dipped to twelve. $100, a fluctuation yeah. that the utility commission later attributed to a computer glitch. Just a little- In their glitch. favor? <laughs> what? <laughs> what? Yeah, 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 yeah. It's so weird that it never drops to like a to like a, like a a weird price for the consumer that's like a penny or something. Yeah. It's always $9,000, it's never a penny. What a weird error. What yeah. a weird error. I mean, yeah. that's, but it shows just, I mean, just how, arbitrary this is right and how i mean it's like this is one of those examples where it's either like cruel mm-hmm. or incompetence and neither of them look very oh, good for like a deregulation it's not an incompetence the whole system this is what the system was designed to do yeah right people people think that they don't understand like the stock market like the, like the GameStop thing where people were like i guess i just don't understand it and and they do it's just crazy like it's not it's it's as stupid as it looks on its face and it's so stupid that you're like i don't this is too complicated for me to understand and you're like no it's just nonsense like it's the stock market's not real and you're like oh this is it, it's i can't explain like it's it can't sim- the simple explanation for why a deregulated electricity market costs nine thousand dollars a kilowatt. Is that that's what it's designed to do? They had the best day of their lives. That's why they fought for it, and that's why it's not like a mystery. Right. But it's such so a it, crazy thing. You think like, oh, there, there must be some something I don't understand about this. It can't simply just be a scam. <laughs> right. like, yeah. No, yeah. it's a scam. Now you understand economics. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so effectively, the private entity is uh which their name is called potomac economics which just sounds like a school of thought i guess i don't know how else to put it like potomac economics just sounds like a professor that's, at UC that's the name of a that's the name of a company or a... yeah okay so they're they were the one who they, they sent this letter recommending that the utility the ERCOT, send over a billion and a half like rebate a billion and a half dollars okay uh <laughs> that'll the, the teach six, them so when, so when you say when you say rebate a billion and a half dollars, give a billion and a half back to people or what? Well, to adjust it on their billing, but I'm not sure mm-hmm. whether that means that it, like the billing that's going to be owed. But out of out of how many trillions of of like <laughs> scam profit when you dump 
toxins into the river, causing a trillion dollars of damage, and then you have to pay fifty million dollars in fines. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Trillion yeah, dollars yeah. in profit from whatever crazy thing you did. Right. Mm-hmm. It resulted in sixteen billion dollars in charges. Uh, uh, th- that was like okay. excessive charges, sixteen billion dollars. But again, it's like so one the, of these so the plan is to teach them a lesson by letting them only make fifteen billion dollars of profit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, day. yeah. You better it's not. Definitely, <laughs> definitely not going to happen again next winter because we only let them earn fifteen billion dollars profit. <laughs> that's exactly right no uh, bonuses this year so yeah so it's, it's asking the commission to direct to be precise about what they're asking for to direct ERCOT to correct the real-time price of electricity from 12 a.m on february 18th to 9 a.m on february 19th doing so would save end customers around 1.5 billion dollars that otherwise would be passed through to them from the electricity providers but on on their bills that are how much higher than they would normally be yeah yeah the 1.5 billion doesn't mean anything if the bills are four trillion dollars higher than they would have been in a regulated market it's like oh we've reduced your twelve thousand dollar monthly electricity bill to only eight thousand dollars you're welcome (laughs) (laughs) it's not still a terrible scam uh so if you want to hear the most obnoxious group trade association that you may have ever heard in your life you want you guys ready for it Yes. The Texas Competitive Power Advocates. And that's, um, the indus- that's the industry group? That's the trade association. That, electricity you know, generators in Texas. You know, I have to say, David, that 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 name, like you you sort of present it as like, this is terrible. And I'm like, it can't be that terrible. And it sounds bland initially, but then the more I hear the, I think I kind of rolled it around. I'm like, ugh. Mm. I, I like, what the, the at Texas advocacy something, what was it again? Texas competitive power no. yeah right advocates. there right right there where it says competitive i'm like no 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 i know no. where this is going <laughs> yeah it's kind of one of those things where sometimes like the cliche is is just made so for a reason like this is like those four words together in some ways are like just like this is exactly what you imagine like texas plutocratic douchebags to be and uh they really are they said retroactively changing the prices could discourage future investments sure. in Texas's electricity yeah. markets. Um, but yeah, I mean, they, like they just completely, they're like, oh, this is going to hurt our incentives and this is going to be sure. too confusing for people later. I mean, there's no reason to take this thing you're eating at any face value. It's just a scam. It's like, yeah, it's, yeah. like if you, it's like if you manufacture like widgets and the widgets normally cost a dollar. But due to, due to a like a, an emergency where people need widgets to survive, they're temporarily ten thousand dollars. You can produce as many widgets as you want, and the price is ten thousand. If the price was five thousand, would you not also produce the same number of uh, as many widgets as possible? And so it's like, oh, it'll discourage people because they can only sell the widget for a thousand times the normal price instead of ten thousand times. And it's like, no, you'd you'd be selling as many widgets at a thousand times the price is as two thousand. It's complete nonsense. There's no reason to take. Yeah, it's like, like oh man, we shouldn't spend too much time thinking about this one. <laughs> no, th- this one is like, oh, you guys, you don't understand. Our CEO is only going to be able to buy yeah. a, Mer- a Mercedes S Class as opposed to a McLaren, and that cannot happen. <laughs> All right. Yeah, a-, a CEO salary is a perfect analogy. It's yeah. like, well, if we didn't pay them $40 million, they wouldn't work as hard as if we paid them $35 million. It's like, that's definitely <laughs> not a factor. They're going to do the same amount of work, however easy or hard it is, 
they're not going to work harder if they get 40 million instead of 30 million a year. <laughs> Maybe there's a difference between 100,000 and 4 million, but there's not a difference between the 30 million and 35 million. You're, st- yeah, you're going to do yeah. the number of hours that the job takes if that's the big do it. I, I think this brings up a good economic theory that I feel like people don't talk enough about, which is elasticity. And this is uh, mm. like, Jason, do you want to explain what, uh, what elasticity is? Oh God, is? I haven't thought about economics in 20 years. Yes. <laughs> okay, so Why don't you tell me what you think it is? <laughs> there you go. There it is. There yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. You're just yes-anding me right now, yeah, you yeah. know? Uh, no, but it, it's like elasticity is depending on the need or how elastic something is will determine their uh, willingness to pay depending on when the price goes up. Okay. Right. So there's there's your elasticity of demand for for water. Every day you need let's say five gallons of water at a minimum, or you're in trouble, right? And so if water's a dollar, then you're going to buy five gallons. And if water's a thousand dollars, you still might have to try and buy five gallons. But if water's yeah. a penny, if water's a penny, your elasticity of demand for water is limited. Maybe if if water is consistently a penny, as it is in this country, it's actually subsidized below like its market rate. And so people have lawns in Los Angeles, for example, because they're not paying a market price for water. But in general, you don't drink more water just because it's cheaper. Your yeah, your elasticity yeah. of demand for water is limited, whereas your elasticity of demand for uh, Funko Pops maybe does change based on the price. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If, uh, I don't encourage anyone to do this. They are cursed totems. But let's say you want Funko Pops. If they're on sale for a dollar, you might buy hundreds of them. And if they cost $100 each, you might just buy your one favorite character, right? So that's a highly elastic item where the the price really changes how much your demand is versus your demand for 2,000 calories a day or your demand for water or your demand to not freeze to death inside your house in one of the richest countries in the world is like a pretty... I actually have a relatively a limited. Is that I actually, did I I'm, get it right? <laughs> I, I have a highly inelastic demand for Funko Pops. <laughs> yeah, right. yeah. I, I at any price would not take them into my home because they curse you. There's clearly a cursed totem. Yeah. The more of them you own, <laughs> the more of them you own, the more cursed they are. I haven't seen one yet given, that sparked any joy. They are very clearly just like you have a negative elastic demand. <laughs> but they're, 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 demand. they're an inessential item and and so you know if, if they're on sale you might buy twice as many right yeah but nobody, nobody's buying twice as many <laughs> gallons of water most people like i say there are these exceptions you might have a crazy garden if water's really cheap but is the hoarders yeah that's my that's my the best to have an elasticity based on a memory of 20 years ago yeah i think you got it man i mean what i I bring it up because it's nice to have an econ major here, uh, but it, it's the whole concept of a regulated, of like a completely deregulated energy market is bad economics also. Like, I, like absolutely, Jason, you're right. This is all a scam, but like most of capitalism is. But like, if we're actually going to like take into account economic like theories, there is something about like when something is elastic, like purely elastic, have it be, you can have things like it being unregulated. Whatever economic theory the people that put this system into place use to justify it is not their real motivation. Their real motivation mm-hmm. is sure. that they want to charge you $10,000 an hour during emergencies for electricity because they'll make a trillion dollars. Republicans like 
I love free speech. And it's like, but you don't love this free speech. <laughs> you know, it's just like a, it's just this, it's this intellectual facade they put on. They try and yeah. hang it on some sort of intellectual theory, but they don't actually believe that. A hundred percent, this was motivated. They knew exactly what they were doing. It's not a mistake that the, the market didn't break. It worked exactly the way it was meant to work. And because they have purchased the pol politics in Texas, because the politicians are in league or in the pocket of these donors, the, they made it happen. Yeah, the and, uh, I, it does yeah. seem it does seem like the um, the in this case. I guess it's, it's just like for me, like there. It, sorry, Dan, if you don't mind. Oh no, please, uh, yeah, yeah. I I do think that it's important to talk about it because economic principles still exist outside of like crony capitalism or like this like absolute dog shit system that we have in America because like, they do. Like and so you need to talk about that because like capitalism and economics are different things you still have economic incentives under communism or anarchism or any other economic system principles of economics still exist and, yeah, and yeah. Like, there are economic the principles that, that exist separate from human politics but the only economic principles that we value in our culture are going to be ones that reinforce the existing power structure and that's why you have all of these foundations that print nonsense books and buy a million copies of them. Why you have the, you know, why Milton Friedman has fellowships named after him. Uh, it just like it's not limited to economics. Literally any society anywhere on earth, if your if what you, if what if your message reinforces power or expands power for the people that have power, then your message will be heard and celebrated and platformed. And if your message undercuts that, then it will be buried or attacked or dismissed. And so when, when someone talks about economic principles, they're always talking about just the principles that undermine, that, that, that underline, that platform business interests. I mean, I understand what you're saying. And I, I don't think that economics is, is necessarily empirical either, but it's like a system. It's like, they're, they're it can be, thought. but the economics that has, has, a, has reach and has platform and has textbooks, the people that write these textbooks, all of that's paid for by business interests and it it has it has airtime air on radio and fox business msnbc and cnbc like the stock the stock market's nonsense but that's right? not a reason not to talk about elasticity but like that's not yeah. a reason to talk to like not under like not to talk to, about elasticity uh, of course not, not. understand but to me not it's to a, like understand what like to me it's a starting principle of what we need to talk about because sure sure well yeah i mean and a thing we talk about all the time on the podcast is just basically how you were saying like you mentioned the stock market for a brief moment we it's like david's always saying like the stock market is a mood ring that's it you so we're it's, very it's just gambling and if you accept that yeah, then you understand yeah. the stock market but cnbc exists to create a narrative to kind of gaslight you into not seeing what's right in front of you which is that it's just gambling it's not connected to any real economic factors our economy is not based on its success. It's just gambling. It's just day trading. It's just split second trades. But CNBC and dozens, hundreds of other things, Bloomberg terminals exist to generate this counteracting narrative to sort of trick people that aren't really that invested in it into thinking that I just don't understand the stock market. Well, no, you, yes. you do if you think it yeah. seems like a scam. You do understand it. Yeah, yeah. And that's yeah. true of not just economics. Like I say, it's true of politics and everything. It's not even limited to American society. It's true of culture a thousand years ago that, that 
if the emperor says he's descended from God, then who, who's, who gets to write history about this guy? Like if the king says God, God shows him, there's not, it's not like everyone even believes that, right? What I like about having you on the podcast <laughs> is I yeah. asked about elasticity and you went to the Japanese emperor in 1945. This <laughs> is like the only things I know about. This yeah. is why you're a good guest because first off, you're, you're making all good points and right on. Um, and like, we're with you on that. But I do want to focus on like the, the, because like, look, I'm a financial journalist and I'm, I'm, I'm with you on yeah. all this sort of stuff. Like, I do want to, like, this sort of stuff needs to be reported on because there is, oh, there are, because like, yes, I completely, I, I ultimately see that there is like a pyramid structure, but there are competing factions within that pyramid structure. And there are yeah. some people that can take away certain factions of power from each other and yeah the only way to reform it or fix it is to is to become a a powerful group yourself and and like in order to, in order for us as americans to pass a minimum wage we're going to need to create a voting block of activism and and a, a power block that organizes and demands this thing to counteract the much larger demand from a small handful of like like why did both delaware democrats vote against this because it's bad for their six the six guys that pay for their campaign. Yeah. It'd be good for 35% of their constituents, but it's bad for their 10 friends. And we need to, in order to fix the Texas market or to get any sort of law, reform law passed, we do need to become a power in our own right. So I agree completely. We should talk about it. I just don't want to, not that we did this yet, but like how much time is spent on Twitter, like dunking on a conservative for being a hypocrite. And it's like, they don't care sure. that they're a hypocrite. Sure, they don't believe sure. in the, it's like, oh, you caught oh, them in I, the hypocrisy. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> like, oh, good one. As though yeah, that's not, yeah. as though that, as though they're principled people that like truly believe in free speech all the time or something instead of just when it applies to them. Yeah, I, I think that me, like, I, I certainly agree with you that that's true, but like it does warrant a question of like, when are we going to be thinking about like what the ultimate answer to it is? And what I guess I, the reason why I brought up elasticity is just that ultimately this is treating energy like a commodified good mm -hmm. is still relying on price. And that is still relying on elasticity. And then like, this is weird, like a pg e in California regulated mm -hmm. markets, you're not going to have a $9,000 like price gouging that's going to happen in an emergency but there's still ultimately well, huge commodification issues it's own sort of like problems, was also right? privatized uh like 30 exactly. years ago exactly. and so what, are you ready are you ready for this uh to save money each year to make their like they have to answer to the stock market because now they're a privately held company that trades like they have they have to kind of generate increased growth every year as though they're like a lululemon or something and yeah, so uh, yeah, they stopped yeah. They stopped doing annual maintenance to, to, you know, they stopped spending money on annual maintenance to make the books look better than they were the year before when they had to spend all this money, like fixing, keeping tree branches away from power lines, et cetera. And that is why the majority, the vast majority of wildfires in California are started by PG&E. Uh, Hundreds, if not thousands of people have been killed by fires started by PG&E, and it's a direct result of them being privatized and no longer doing maintenance. And so uh, now in California, the power is not on during high winds. Uh, you just have rolling intentional blackouts because they can't, PG&E can't guarantee that the equipment won't be faulty because they haven't done maintenance for 30 years. 
and uh, we no longer have power 24-7 because it could just burst into flames at any time. So that's what's got, going on you, in California's energy you, you, market. You guys, you don't understand. We can't turn the power on. There's these branches. They might they might hit like so, a 1,000-watt transformer. We can't. We can't. Or just be sparking <laughs> next yeah, to like yeah. brush 24-7. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. And when it was a uh, public company, they, you know, they took, they, they did that stuff to save money, to, to, to increase their stock market potential. They stopped doing basic maintenance and uh, hundreds of people have died just in the last two years from, from PG&E. Uh, and there are more regulations in California in terms of like, you know, they can't charge you $10,000 a kilowatt or whatever. They can't charge you a thousand dollars a minute to run a light bulb, but uh, just like in Texas, it was uh, to, to a less extreme extent, but it was privatized. And the result has been hundreds of deaths, thousands. What you're saying is talking about systems uh, matters. Yes. And the, way that, and, the, and the way that we understand how like a system totally. operates gets to the root of like what is at, like the, um, I don't know. I, 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 guess I, think, it's... I think pointing out that the emperor is not wearing clothes is vital to these types of situations, right? Whatever, whatever the subject is, where we have we have this, people are freezing to death in their homes. There's people starving to death on the streets in this country. When did California? When did PG&E uh, privatize? I believe it was about 30 years ago. Yeah, so right around the same time as Texas. They did not do this free for all Wild West market that you're talking about in Texas. I think there are still yeah. there's still some state over there still subject to state regulations and price controls of some kind, but this idea that they would be like a more efficient company if they had to answer to the stock market. Well, what was the result? The result is that thousands of people have, have burned to death because of PG&E. And I, I think we, we can look this up, but I believe that something like 95% of the fires that were able to be traced back to like what started them in California in like 2018 were started by faulty PG&E equipment. So it's not even just like one fire killed a hundred people. One fire killed a hundred people also like, a hundred of the hundred and twenty other fires were also started by PG&E equipment. It sounds. It wow. sounds sort of. It sounds sort of like really. And I, I, maybe this is an, a nice way to sort of kind of like, you know, sync it all together when you think about like, you know, this like the the study of like economics and then like you know terminology that plays into it and what have you. And and it's the the end result is is like you know we can talk about how certain terms essentially mean one thing and like how that affects stuff but the and but at the end of the day the really important thing to notate and to vocalize to people is like okay maybe perhaps this is the terminology that they're using perhaps as an excuse but it's not really useful to just be like you're breaking your own rules it's almost and you're you're arguing on their terms if you yeah 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 if yeah, you yeah. engage yeah. if you engage if you're trying to like shame Mitt Romney into doing the right thing by engaging him in a debate on like Senate procedures, you're just operating on his false terms. He doesn't, he right. only believes in those things when they suit him. And if you're trying to like make him agree to this thing that he only believes in when it suits him, you're not, you just need to point out the emperor has no clothes. And the, this thing in Texas is a perfect opportunity to not get bogged down in the propaganda that they invented to get this law passed. Sure. About whether it's like real sure. or not, it's not real. It's not why they passed the law. They invented that propaganda so they could pass this thing so they could do exactly what happened. And it, it, this is an opportunity to the, pull the curtain back and, and point out the, the Wizard of Oz is this man pulling the levers, right? That it's not this, it's not too complicated for someone to understand it. It's just a scam. <laughs> it's not. Yeah, it's, it's just price gouging also. 
I mean, the fact, yeah. that that, face value. the fact that Bloomberg never mentions that this is price gouging, I think is... Well, of course. Why would they? That's not what their readers want to hear. Well, but they're <laughs> supposed to be... Uh, no, does, I mean, work, absolutely. does any working class person in the world read Bloomberg? No, they don't <laughs> afford it. It's not for them. Right. Are, yeah, like, I mean, are Wall Street Journal editorials in good faith? No. They are meant to create a false narrative. Like the conservatives, the New York Times pays a million dollars a year to write easily debunked embarrassing nonsense on like a daily basis you know what i mean yeah mm -hmm. the brett stevens articles are always they, we're just like yeah. just like but they're not a, that's why this that's why brett stevens has a job that's what mm -hmm. that job is for is to generate this alternate reality where things aren't what they seem there's actually this kind of other thing that have you thought about it this way and then they Fancy come up culture. with some random thing that doesn't hold up to any scrutiny but they're just you're just generating Kind of agitprop. What is Fox News doing 24 hours a day? It's creating an alternate narrative so that you won't just see things at as they are. Yeah, you so you can't just say like you're killing that, people. That <laughs> half a million people are dead. But in the Fox News, it's about like Hunter Biden or Hillary Clinton or something. It's not about how te it's not about Texas energy markets, the people freezing to death in their own homes, right? Yeah, and I think we've it, we saw during the Trump presidency how extreme reality could be without breaking those narratives. That people yeah, can be freezing to death in their own homes in the in an urban city in the richest country that's ever existed in human history, and it won't pierce the narrative of like, well, they should have like worked harder or something. <laughs> Liberals making this assumption where it's like, well, they should have voted differently. <laughs> who says yeah, that's they disgusting. Yeah, we who should, says, well, who we, says we, they didn't vote for the right guy? I'm using air quotes on the podcast. We we uh, well we we were talking about Japanese earlier and how it's a different language altogether and hard and you know not easy and all that stuff and you can really just think about this stuff like you know all the weird agitprop like you're saying it's just Latin and they want people to only speak in this dead thing that's not going to right. correctly correctly explain and what's happening when really what you have to say is you have to say in whatever tongue you speak that like they're killing us. And they're trying to hide it in something that we don't understand. Hey there, everyone. This is Editor Danny here. I uh, just wanted to add a note that I just typed out for you guys. <clears throat> Ponzi scream does not condone acts of terrorism. In concordance with that statement, it is also important to study and deeply understand the effects of a hegemonic media and understand why specific individuals feel the full brunt of our legal system while at the same time large corporations are given carte blanche to destroy and undermine society and the environment at large again we do not condone terrorism and you'll understand why i'm saying this in a moment i read a very good book by a man named theodore kaczynski uh it's called industrial <laughs> society and Future. Unfortunate and, last name. <laughs> and uh what dr kaczynski uh posits in this so-called manifesto is that uh, is I think a very insightful. He was a he was the youngest person ever tenured at UC Berkeley. So at age twenty, he went to Harvard when he was sixteen, and, and graduated when he was you know nineteen or twenty with a math degree. He had this incredible academic career. He was the youngest person in any field ever tenured at UC Berkeley. This thing that you know every academic is their life's goal, and he felt that. Uh, math was useless that the reason math has that there's two kinds of math there's math that reinforces the existing power structure that is it makes systems of surveillance more effective it makes missiles more effective it makes 
the government have more power and more control, right? And that's one thing we value is the military industrial math. And then there's the second math that, that you, you show off by how useless it is. So there's two types of math. One is, is you're, you're demonstrating how valuable you are and smart you are by working on something of no value whatsoever, or you demonstrate your value by working on something that uh, supports the existing power structure. And that's why math is valued in our society as like an academic profession and poetry is not. And I think that's a really clear insight into what is a value in our society. And the reason economics is a department at every college in the country and exists is because 90% of it, right? Is there a, how, like it, colleges have this reputation for being Marxist, but whoever got a Marxist business degree, why do business degrees even exist? Yeah, yeah. To indoctrinate people in this thing. And, and their money comes to found these chairs and to found these departments from the beneficiaries of this sort of invented system. And even though Marx is the most famous economist of all time, Right, sure. Economics as the field exists, nutrition as a field exists to reinforce the existing power structure. Sorry, and, did you just say nutrition? Yeah. All nutritional research is paid for by this same as this council of competitive whatever. Sure, 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 it's, sure, sure. Nobody's paying to do research on milk except milk producers. To get grants to do nutritional research, it has to come from the Walnut Council or the Almond Growers Association or the Oats Authority or, or milk or the Beef Council. And they're not going to fund a study that undermines their business. And so all nutritional research is just propaganda right? There's no, there's no money to do like a, like an, like a genuinely philosophical inquisitive research into like the true nature of human nutrition. It's all, it only exists to, to support that you should be eating more beef. Ted, Ted, Ted Kaczynski's book is called the Unabomber Manifesto. That's not what he named it. He's a famous crazy person. <laughs> Why yeah. do you think he's a famous crazy person? He killed a couple of people. Yes. Chevron kills people. We just talked about PG&E killed hundreds of people last year. Are they sure. disgraced? No. Sure. Are their yeah. theories disgraced? No. Are they not invited? Are they in jail? No. I like but Ted this. Kills three I, like, people. I like I like this. Ted Kaczynski <laughs> kills three people and he's a he's like a crazy person, right? And like, yeah, you should go to jail when you kill people. Chevron's killed tens of thousands of people. They've, they've polluted rivers and jungles. They've murdered people that were trying to unionize in South America. They've committed assassinations. Chevron kills people every day. Even just in LA, air pollution kills tens of thousands of people a year still. But do the people that manufacture air pollution, are they discredited? Are they not welcome at the White House? Are their theories dangerous theories? No. And, and I think this is key to understanding I mean, I guess this is what makes me an anarchist in quotes, right? Sure. Is that I just don't, ex I, I think any system or theory you hear about has been designed to uh, reinforce that the emperor is descended from the sun. And you're, you're in, you, <laughs> in your heart, you suspect this is not true. And so without, we can go into Japanese history for like 20 minutes if you want, but I think the truth <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> like the, in, in 1860, the emperor was just a boy. He was not in charge of anything in Japan. It wasn't even clear if an emperor had been in charge of Japan in any meaningful way ever. But he was descended from a like a thousand-year lineage, theoretically, of emperors who had no control or political power or anything. In 1867, he was made the emperor. Public schooling was created. 
textbooks were written by the government and they were written to teach children this new thing as though it was an old thing that this emperor is has the emperors have been in charge for thousands of years they have not the emperor is descended from the god of goddess of the sun spoiler alert he is not uh and that's why schooling exists you know what i mean the schools weren't invented to teach the children free thinking they literally invented schools to teach children a curriculum to to brainwash you if you will this thing that reinforces this power structure and that's 100 percent true in our society today we just can't see it as clearly because we didn't we we went through the schooling right and so in 1944 yeah. japan some percentage of people i'm sure did think that the emperor was divine but lots of them did not and if you read the letters from kamikaze pilots the vast majority of them know exactly the bullshit situation they're in they don't believe that they're dying for their country they don't believe that their death will make any difference what they write to their mother is that they are in this thing where they have no choice about what they have to do next and they're they have to die uh, for a lost cause they never believed in and that they believe will make no effect because they of the shunning the cultural shame they would be would come on her and her family and their siblings and their their name and death mm. and it's and in the west we think of these kamikaze pilots as being crazy they were these true believers in this in this fanatical cause when 99 percent of them were just kids and that knew exactly that they just had been dealt a bad hand in life right they're 17 and if if the person that's in charge of you in the military tells you you got to do a thing you got to do it they'll just kill you otherwise either way you're going to die die with shame right. or die with honor yeah right and so yeah. they 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 go to their deaths but they don't go to their deaths believing in the you know what i mean it's not it's not like mad max where they're just like i've done it i i will become part of the the storm right. you know yeah yeah <laughs> uh, people believed it though some of them believed it for sure. Sure. And sure. some of the people believe in this, you know what I mean? Some people yeah, tried to right. overthrow for Trump too, and those are true believers. But even people that voted for Trump know, know in their hearts it's bullshit. They're just antagonizing you. Doesn't mean that they're liberal. They have these conservative beliefs and they have this guy that's going to further their conservative beliefs. Do they really think he's not a criminal? No. <laughs> they know he's a criminal. It's one of the things they like about him. And so you try you try and like disabuse them where it's like but he's a liar and it's like yeah they love that about him they don't <laughs> yeah they don't they, they're not they have no delusion about the fact that donald trump's lying constantly they love it right because he's lying for them he's lying for their their political thing right yeah so but liberals will try and like try and talk him out of it by engaging them in this debate as though they think Donald Trump's an honorable person. <laughs> it's like, yeah. So stop, so stop debate. So stop even doing the debate. Just, just call. You're engaging that. It's a, yeah. it's pointless to try and make someone see the hypocrisy of something that they don't actually literally believe in. Yeah. Right. No, I mean, the idea is to influence a vote. This is, uh, you know, I have to say, I have to say, Jason, this has been a, this has been a, a very, it's been kind of curvy and sort of undefined initially, but I, I like kind of where we ended up here because ultimately, I mean, it is a situation where start the podcast now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Start oh, it shit. now. Yeah, this, the curvy podcast. Oh, you now. wanted me to hit record? I didn't think we were going to talk about feudal Japan, but I'm glad we did. Oh, up. I knew we were going to talk about. It. It's like <laughs> yeah, only, yeah, yeah. It's like one of the only things I know about. Yeah. Oh, again, what, what? 
Do, do you know what Bushido is? Uh, no, Diana, are you fucking kidding me? No, 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 no. I know. Really? I think, just I think, I think I know. I think I know what Bushido is. Bushido is basically is like it's like an honor code, right? Yes, and it's the honor. It's the alleged honor code that the samurai lived under. When was the word Bushido coined? The word Bushido was coined decades after the fall of the feudal system. So thirty years after the really? last. Samurai. And the last samurai was not a sword fighting man. He was a bureaucrat. His great grandfather might have fought with a sword, but his great grandson carries a sword and is just a polit is a bureaucrat. And Bushido, just like Southern hospitality or Gone with the Wind, is a is a revisionist history that creates this lost cause mythology to obfuscate to obfuscate the Confederate flag, putting up these Confederate statues. When were the Confederate statues put up? 1920. 50, they weren't yeah, put yeah, up in 1850. So. They're put up in 1920. And Bushido is invented by someone who is idealizing the conservative warlord government, a completely corrupt and monstrous system of, of murderers. They didn't follow Bushido. Bushido is a retroactive philosophy that is being applied nostalgically to something to justify this type of conservative aim, exactly the way our our confederate statues because if you if you weren't coming from a american schooling perspective where you don't learn i mean literally yesterday i learned that there was a enslaved black man on the lewis and clark expedition did you know that yeah no i didn't know that <laughs> and of course we don't know that because why would our is textbooks include that right because it undermines everything about these two people and it it points out that they are slave owners and it obfuscates the role that this black man, he was an equal participant in this, just like Sacagawea, who we sort of rediscovered 20 years ago, right? Where it's like, we should be writing this person back into this history. And if, you, if you're coming from a non-American perspective and you look at what the American South was doing before the Civil War, on its face, it's monstrous. It's hideously monstrous. And so great effort has been expended to create a mythology to obfuscate the, the monstrosity of human slavery. And to, to a lesser extreme, right? I don't think, like, it's, I don't wanna say these things are on par with human slavery. That's just an extreme example that, that clarifies what I'm saying. The field of economics, as you hear about it, like, yes, there, there are some academics somewhere writing genuinely interesting insights into these phenomena, but the field of economics exists to justify the stock market, to justify corporate excess, to sure. justify $40 million salaries for CEOs and deregulation. There's no pro-regulation economics fellowship because who would pay for it? What job do you get? You major yeah. in deregulating, you major in regulating. Jason Van Glass, where can people find you on social media? <laughs> yes, yes, yes. At, at my name, at Jason Van Glass on Twitter. Okay. It's probably just, it, would be, it means so much to me if you follow me on Twitter. I only tweet like once a day, so it's not like a burden. <laughs> no, J I, Jason. Jason's good on Twitter. He's he 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 tweets the exact right amount. You know, it's like once or twice a day. I'm very self conscious about it, so I don't. I hope it's like never. Hopefully, like boring or inane or repetitive. Well, this was not that. Well, it's because it's so insane and it's such a deep conversation to get because there's a lot there. There's a lot to talk about, and there's just the analogy, the analogs that you can make our they're almost endless to a point but ultimately it's it's just good to remember too that it's just like 
you got to point you got to point out what is actually happening if there's obfuscation of stuff you gotta i mean i think it's also a point of just like no more talking at a certain point right that's i would say to to tie back to the slower start to this podcast where it's like i don't think my politics have changed but like the vote for vote for the dem no matter who like what has that got me in my lifetime i've been voting for 22 years Mm -hmm. and it did it stop the iraq war no those people all voted for it they love the iraq war because it's good for business and it's good for power and at a certain point you have to stop engaging people on the artificial terms of their debate they've invented those terms to stop you from just calling out what it is that these people are corrupt politicians are corrupt right yeah. they come up with this they come up with this elaborate thing about senate senate rules or something it's like no they don't want to pass a minimum wage they don't want to send you a check yeah and so they, they're coming up with these systems these rationalizations about why they can't vote for this thing because they don't want to, they don't want to help poor people it's not complicated there's not it's not more complicated than that it's as simple as that that's not who it elected is. them that's not who gives their money to their campaign so they don't care about those people but they come up with a political philosophy that obfuscates the, the simple reality that it's apparent on its face if you just sort of turn off MSNBC for like five seconds. Burn it to the ground. Don't trust anybody and make sure you're not in <laughs> Los Angeles when you the, take anything when away from this out. podcast. It's that Ted Kaczynski was an exceptionally smart person. <laughs> yes. A lot of good ideas. Yes. And Honestly, like I, I got his manifesto, his so-called manifesto, it's called Industrial Society and its Futures uh, from the LA Library, they had one copy. Uh, but if you, <laughs> if, you read that, if you read his treaties, he said, he, he said if they published that, he would stop killing. Now they didn't know who he was or where he was living, but he from, from his cabin in Montana with no electricity made it known that if the New York Times or, or Washington Post would publish this, he would stop terrorism. And I think if you read that, he's you'd be hard pressed to find something where it's like he has a point like sure. his manifesto sure. what he was so upset about in 1995 and he'd been, he'd been bombing at 15 or 20 years at that point he believed that uh industrial society capitalism was ruining the environment in a way that we would not be able to recover from and it was going to create environmental changes that were going to result in mass death and mass migrations and and mass everything and it's like, that's true. He was right about that, right? Was he yeah. wrong to think that, that global warming was going to be a problem and it was going to cause flood and all these things? That, right. that Texas is going to have this unseasonably cold weather? No, he was right. And his second thing was that uh, computers, this is 1994 or 95 that he's writing this, uh, that computers are going to get stronger and better every year and that the incentives that drive the types of innovations in those things are innovations that in, that reward and platform power holders, right? Your computer never gets better in a way, never gets more useful in a way that undermines the government. And it, it manifestos about how we, it's hard to conceive now in 1984 because the Dell computer seems pretty meaningless or whatever, but they're going to get better and better at every tracking everything you buy, everyone you talk to, everywhere you go, and governments and corporations are going to use that to constrain your freedoms of choice, that you'll have fewer choices and opportunities available to you because of the surveillance that will happen from computers. Was he right about that? Yeah, right, he was yeah, right, wasn't yeah, he? Yeah, pretty yeah, insightful? Pretty insightful, pretty, yeah. Pretty iPhone to be like, hey, I know it seems silly right now, but like, and, and that it won't even be malicious. 
that yes, that the funding research for any of this stuff comes from governments and corporations, and so the ins will suit their means, but also that like you don't want your child to be born with deformities, right? And so it makes sense to test for Down syndrome. It makes sense to test for anything you can test for. And as we get better and better at that, it's inevitable that children will be genetically engineered, right? That's an extreme example, but it's inevitable. And it's not because anyone's making a malicious decision. Every step of the way is logical decision. It's like, well, I don't want my child to be born too short, right? It'll affect, their, <laughs> it'll affect the quality of their life. And so the same will be true with computers. Like a mapping system is very convenient. It's so convenient to buy things on Amazon. Texting is very convenient, but all of these things will be weaponized against us and have been weaponized against us. The NSA already listens to every single phone call in the country. Yeah. Right? And they don't face any repercussions for that. And, and that was Ted Kaczynski's thing. And uh, while I renounce terrorism, I, I think it's instructive. Thank you, or insightful. Thank you for officially doing that, by the way. But I think it's, yeah. I think it's insightful. We're editing, that. We're editing that out, by the way. Yeah. That's fine. Yeah. Kill the right people. No. Uh, <laughs> yeah, like I say, that like what what is Ted? What is the Unabomber known for in this country? His shack is in a museum in Washington D.C. He's in federal prison as someone that murders people should be. I suppose we can we can abolish prisons for all I care, but like. Is he still alive he, in a prison? He is still alive. He's still writing. Mm -hmm. um, but he's a he's disgraced, right? A whole narrative is created around him that he's crazy. He was living in this small cabin. You should look at how small it is. You can go to a museum and see how small his house was. What a crazy person that he would not live in a nice apartment. You know, your giant New York apartment that's so spacious. He right, was yeah, living in a small yeah. thing that wasn't perfectly insulated. <laughs> and his his philosophy, the, his modus operandi, the reason he was trying to start a movement to overthrow capitalism, to overthrow industrial society, right? He signed his bombs as though they were the part of a group. There was no group. He was trying to jumpstart something that other like-minded people would see the way he saw it in this very clear and extreme way. But his he's branded as a lunatic, right? But PG&E kills hundreds of people a year. Yeah. Are they are they not welcome in high society? No. What was, the name, oh, what was the name prison? of this group? Uh, he was, I don't, it wasn't a group, but he was signing them as uh, for with like different aliases and things. Oh, and he okay. was, he was including like notes that implied like correspondence between people that don't exist. And mm -hmm. in his mind, he felt that he, he, the only way to stop this march of industrialization and colonialism and cap uh, like industrial capitalism that's cutting down the jungles of borneo child labor in china damming the rivers it's it, the only way to stop it is is with this dramatic show of force and to try hopefully inspire other people to like stand up to this machine that's what he was thinking i suppose uh but i think it's i think it's really instructive that that no one's really read the manifesto, right? No one, he's just branded as a lunatic uh, and, and a complete, dis like he'd be disgraceful to believe in whatever he believed in. But no one, Chevron's executives are all multimillionaires. They've, they've murdered, they've explicitly, they hired people to murder people. Not only have they indirectly killed thousands of people, they've had people killed. And, and are they in prison? No. <laughs> 
don't they have tv channels devoted to just like celebrating what's happening with them <laughs> jason we are going to wrap up because yeah. truly we could talk about this for four and a half hours sure. and <laughs> yes i'm sorry you're all on a watch list now and that's my bad but no that uh, no we, we david david that David was on a watch list for being for being too much of a good boy, and you know I'm on a drywall watch list. Uh, uh, yeah, I, I dispute that. Uh, <laughs> I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a bad boy. I want yeah. for the record, everyone. I'm naughty. All right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, but Jason, thanks for coming on. Really appreciate talking to you. Thanks it's for having fun. me. It was nice to talk to some humans. Yeah. yeah. Well. I don't get to do that every day in quarantine, so it's very. Thank you for letting me expound my terrorism uh <laughs> my philosophical <laughs> belief look forward um, to look forward to seeing what you uh uh you know what look forward to seeing your mugshot thank you so bye, much thank you so much bye-bye bye-bye jason